Welcome to Whole Lot of Wolves, episode 16 of our second season. We're your hosts. I'm Joshua Buckley. And I'm Paul LePage. And we have a new voice to introduce you to on this episode, which is always a good thing because it highlights growth in our fan base and the interaction with this podcast. So welcome from Dallas, Aaron McAllister. How's it going, Aaron? Great, fellas. How are we doing tonight? Good. So, Aaron, our listeners always appreciate hearing the story behind the Wolves' support of our guests. So why don't you go ahead and tell us how you came to be a Wolves fan? Yep, uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas originally. This form of football is pretty far down the list of sports when it comes to the hierarchy. But I was always just a general football fan. Just followed the big clubs, big six teams, the world beaters, the Reals, and the Bayerns. Uh, and a couple years back, I just got on my friend and I said, we got to find someone to commit to. I'd always watch the Prem, of course. Every game's exciting, so you can watch pretty much anyone. And gave him a little short list of a few clubs. Wolves was always a team that I enjoyed watching, and that's who we settled on. And we've been running with it ever since then. I'm relatively new in the Wolves fandom and club. It's been a good ride so far. <laughs> Glad to see we have another masochist on board, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're uh... You, you join in at a good time, but there's, there's still some opportunity for masochism, that's for sure. <laughs> I think that was part of what drove it to it a little bit was, hey, I don't want to just latch on to one of those big sixes where it's there is no chance really of those teams going down in, in the grand scheme of things. That was part of it was to really have that true experience of a club that you can really tie yourself to. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you're already a master. <laughs> Come on, the wounds are still fresh. You didn't have to do that to me. <laughs> What's your favorite game so far of Wolves that you've seen? That's a good one. I always heart back. So my favorite player as a Wolf has been Jota. Sadly, one of my best friends in football is from Liverpool. And so he, he gets to rub that in my face now. But I think it was like the FA Cup match against United when he scored that winner late where yeah. he ran from like it felt like you picked the ball up on the other side of the pitch. And that that moment, I, I remember that as like one of the early times of me just being like, yeah, this is this feels right. And so that's one that I always heart back on. There's been a bunch of it feels heck. I could probably claim that most recent Villa game there where we squeaked that one out. So that's that one's added to the top of the list. But I think that's that FA Cup match with Jato was probably my my game of, of, of so far. I think why that was so special was you, you could tell, obviously, yourselves as as new fans or relatively new ones, how special of a performance and a result that was. But what came over for me as a legacy fan just watching was how Molyneux was and how special it was to that 32,000 within there. That even came across on the TV. So you could just tell it was... Uh, an awesome game, awesome result. The performance was, was just right up there. Good call on that one for sure. And Aaron's not the first one that we've had on here to say that was the game that really got him hooked on Wolves. And looking back, Paul, that was a huge game, not just for the results of what it meant for Wolves in the FA Cup, but for the amount of fans it brought in. It's an interesting one because often you think, oh, the magic of the FA Cup's waned or it's not as special as it once was. That goes completely to counter that argument entirely. Mm -hmm. And it was special for new fans because it showed you how magical that can be. 
it was cer- certainly magical for the legacy fans like myself, either, either over here or watching live back in the UK because it meant a semi-final in 15, 20 years, our first trip to Wembley for a semi-final. Yeah, that was some, something special for a number of us. And then the next game, of course, gave us uh, Raul's uh, luchador mask. <laughs> yeah, true. So um, I think why we've never seen that again has been kind of the, the result of the debut of the mask. So, yeah, let's wait till we're three and up in a final for him to pull that one off next year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing that mask again if that's the case. Speaking of Raul, he was the go-ahead goal scorer for us in the 1-0 win over West Ham on Saturday. Samedo driving into the West Ham half. Jimenez first time to the right side to Pedence. Pedence pulling it back. Jimenez! Oh, what a goal! That's absolutely brilliant for Wolves. The slick interplay matched by a perfect finish into the bottom corner by Raul Jimenez. Paul, what were your initial thoughts? I think I said after the calamity at Brentford, where that was a performance that would have us to the bottom of that maybe 7th to 14th category of team this season. Saturday showing against a team like West Ham, who have been in tremendous form, haven't lost a way for something ridiculous. I saw one of the stats were riding high after beating Liverpool quite comfortably prior to the international break. That was a result and a performance from the Wolves that would have us challenging for sixth or seventh mm-hmm. if we were to have that consistency throughout the season. I thought it was that good. Fabianski was by far the busy keeper. They had the the, the first 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, probably give them that. But as we grew into the game, as never started to take control, that's when we really started to show our true worth and it could have been more even. I think on another time, Raul probably would have made a better decision with, with his choice that kind of didn't set up entirely for that dink over the keeper again. A square ball across and wangs free and it's an easy tapping. So those fine margins, again, Fabianski pulled off a couple of cracking saves. And it was a game where we did well and we grew into it and our players grew into it. So... I think it's some firm foundation block so that we can play a team like West Ham and not be overawed because I was certainly scared at, at, at the kickoffs in the lineup, thinking we we're going to be overrunning midfield and Rice and Suchet would dominate us. In fact, it was the opposite. And there was us saying that, oh, okay, we think the days are numbered for Neves and Moutinho as a duo in a in a 3-4-3 but boy they really showed their worth on Saturday and I think probably it was the performance of Neves out the two of them that probably won us the game yeah I was gonna say who's the man of the match and why is it Ruben Neves (laughs) (laughs) Aaron what were your thoughts yeah I think you touched on a lot of solid points there the that first 10-15 minutes definitely after the performance before the break definitely had me a little worried. I really thought that, I think Pudence played 
fantastic. I got to be honest, I'm a little bit biased. I'm like five foot six on a good day. So, of course, I like Badins. But uh, I thought you tower was- over him. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I like him. It makes me feel great. But yeah, I think he played brilliant. Like you said, Nevis was wonderful. I, it, like you said, whenever um, Raul was in on that and he had that little chip where it looked like he was in between what he really decided. Here in the past few weeks, that seemed like that that was no doubt. I was in the back of the net, and then you get that off, and you're like, "Oh, okay, are we going to be another one of these situations where we just can't get the final product?" But it's hard to complain. Like I said, West Ham was on insanely good form, and to get a win like that in front of the home crowd, it, it was pretty good performance. Here's a question I have because you could have argued our form was really well heading into the Crystal Palace game. Everybody was saying how West Ham's form was so good. Is form really that big of a deal these days in the EPL? Because I don't think it is. I think for t- teams in and around where we are and where probably our aspirations are this season, it's not because it it, it can get undone quickly. Even as a one-off, you can be a, on a good run of form and then suddenly you, you come up against the team that you think you're going to beat and... I hope you didn't curse them last week, Josh. We might have one this coming Saturday that on paper is an absolute gimme. But the nature of the the EPL from those top four positions down is really anyone can beat anyone. And even to the extent that Liverpool can lose at West Ham or Man City can get beaten. Yeah, form, whilst the, the momentum's good, and I think goal scoring and chance creation's good, it, it can all get blown out and in quick succession as well. You may come up against that lowly team and then suddenly you're a goal down and then bang, within a couple of minutes, you might be 2-0 down again. So, yeah, it isn't as cut and dry as some of the leagues that we may know where you, you've got that absolute home banker or certain result. It, it doesn't eat quite dry that way in the EPL. Yeah, just to touch on that, the... Two teams that we just mentioned, Liverpool and West Ham, talk about form. Liverpool looked like there wasn't a single team in the whole world that could stop them from putting five up and then turn around. West Ham slaps them. Well, then Liverpool turns back back around and they're back on form again. So, yeah, it's a roller coaster. How, Aaron, how'd you feel once we had the lead? It seemed like Wolves backed up on the aggressiveness. Was that worrisome to you? Definitely. I think that's been a trend of ours is the way some of the games have felt. We've kind of got that. We took control of the game, took dominant possession. We were on attack mode, and that seems to be where our team is set up to perform the best. And then we get that goal and let it down a little bit and start to throttle down. I think one of my like biggest issues this year with Bruno, who's been brilliant, has been I, I always feel like the sub comes a little bit later than I want it to. And so then – it's always seems to be that situation. We're at the 60, 70 mark and you're thinking, oh, this is looking rough. What are we doing here? And then the sub comes at 85 and you're like, that seems unnecessary now, <laughs> but okay, sure. So yeah, I mean, I definitely, at, at that time of the game, definitely start to, you tighten up a little bit. Paul, you had a fun meme that was on our one of our group chats. Yeah, it was something like the, the biggest fears in life and the, the first <laughs> one was the dark and then the second one was clowns and third or fourth was death and then fifth and outstanding was wolves defending a narrow lead which was... <laughs> and it had roman saeed's face yeah. on it which i thought was just incredible 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, given the dues, man, that they've they've done it again and, and they did it on Saturday that he prob again, it's probably that dread and fear that all Wolves fans have got that we can't do it, but actually we're we're not that bad at doing it. And he, even in recent memory, it's only been that Leeds yeah. performance that was a real letdown when it comes to that. So I think credit's where it's due. And even to the extent on Saturday, he, he played very well in what he had to do in terms of goalkeeping. But Jose Sarr was hardly troubled in terms of pulling out goal-saving saves. So I think it's a measure of the team, how they're evolving, that we've started to do it, we can do it. We're just a little jaded from past experience that puts the fear into us. So eight Nori, he's not giving up the Spartan starting spot unless of injury, right? I love it. I'm a fan. Not nothing against Marcel, but I love the way he plays. I love the aggression he plays with. He goes on those runs and he just seems so confident with the ball at his feet and then tracking back, he's got speed and he gives the effort. He's yet to be totally burnt in that regard. So I, I think he's, he's taken a hold of it, and I don't see why he loses. Yeah, you, t- you touch on a good point that you're starting to see that defensive solidity from him, but also the importance of that whole left-hand side, that it is either an outlet or many of the attacks come from, from either that side or the opposite flank, and we, we're not totally accustomed to seeing that, but... When you start to look at the heat maps and the statistics that come out after the back of a game, then it was really vivid after Saturday what started and what developed down the left-hand side for definite and to a lesser extent down the right as well. So it's a really good indication of that importance of that position, how Bruno values it and how it's important that a player like Nuri and, and Samedo are able to contribute in an attacking sense as well. Paul, what would have to be the price tag for Wolves to move Neves at this point? It would have to be at least 80, right? It is, because if you look at it, if with the, with the English tax and him having a good World Cup, if Declan Rice is valued at over 100 million, then he's still in Neves' pocket from the weekend. So it's easily 80. And he would be under so much more spotlight if he was English, if he played for a London team. Yeah, his value's increasing dramatically with performances like that that we saw on Saturday. How about you, Aaron? How much would it take for you to sell him? I don't know. It made me think of this, like, I heard a question that they proposed out and it was like so when they make his statue what hair do they use do they use the <laughs> hair with the headband or they go this short back when but yeah i don't know it'd have to be a pretty hefty price because we already i feel like we need some bodies in the midfield anyways to lose him it would be we, we'd have to have a pretty solid return it's funny according to transfer market his value is down from this summer when it was 50 million euros now they're trying to say it's 42 million euros <laughs> Tell me you don't watch the game without telling me you don't watch the game. He's been phenomenal. Do you feel like at some point Cody will feel the need to hand over the captain's band to Neves? Do you think that'll happen? Not this year, but sometime next year? I don't think he'll be a, a formal handing over the reins as such. I, I do generally think it'll come down to 
the evolution of the team, either formation wise or personnel, in that even if Large persists with a back five, I think Cody has still got some ways to go to say that he's able to take us to the next level as that sweeper or that that third centre back within it. So at the moment, if we continue that formation, he's solid. He's got that spot locked down. In the future, if we do well this season, we build on it and, and there's opportunity to invest and improve, then he's on somewhat shaky ground. So I could see it happening then where centre of the midfield, Neves is a guaranteed starter week in, week out. It's just who you're pairing with. So that's how it would change for me, either if we do switch to a four at the back or if we do evolve that, that back three and there's a player that comes in who's even better than what Cody's done for us, then that's how I could see that happening. I will say, if you didn't see on Twitter over the weekend, Connor Cody, his video where they brought in this kid who was being bullied at school, gave him a tour around Molyneux, and Cody sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk with him. Man, that's one of the reasons everybody loves Connor Cody and why he's the captain when you watch that video. Exactly, and I would love nothing more than to have Cody complete his rest of his career. Molyneux is mm-hmm. one of those types of servants to a club that's loyal to the core. And even if he's on the bench, you could count on him to, to do a job. It's exactly the attitude and the mentality that we want throughout our club. And no better player that typifies it than Connor Cody. I think he could be a manager someday. You say that, I don't know whether you caught any of the clips from match the day two which is on the bbc back in england that's their highlights package that happens on a sunday for a a scouser with a really thick liverpoolian northwest accent he comes across so well in the media so i could see two avenues that he'd be really comfortable in front of the camera because he's just natural it comes across but i tend to agree that he's such a football man that He's going to be in the game, hands-on coaching all the way through to to being a manager, and and he'd do pretty well. Aaron, you mentioned Jada was your favorite player with Wolves. Who's your favorite player on the current squad? That's a tough one. I, honestly, probably a guy we have yet to get to see this year in Neto. I would love to have him back. He was brilliant, and I think that he something to the team that we back in that critical final third he's just such a fun player to watch i really do like him but Ince is probably up there it's a tough one there that I, I like pretty much anybody on our attacking side we've got so much differentiation in talent between what everybody brings to the table wong has been brilliant they need to go ahead and what was it january 1st that they first day let's get it done but yeah put in's probably until neto comes back <laughs> Who So it, uh, the reports are starting to come out now that they're anticipating in January, potentially Johnny, Neto, and Mascara coming back. Who goes to the bench if Neto comes in as a starter? Do you think he just plays on the bench the whole season while he's getting into shape, just comes off as a sub? I think it gives us a luxury that we haven't got a Russian back. And mm-hmm. was that a case the last time with Johnny that he didn't, I don't, I think he even had a under-23 game. He came straight back in. So I think that does give us the luxury. I think one of the only 
negatives on Saturday, even if it was a negative, that was Wang's decrease in impact on the game the length it went on. And probably taking a step back now with hindsight, you, you forget the miles that he probably put in over the international break. So right. when you think of it now, that's probably the obvious explanation. So that's where I could potentially see some change. Plus the fact that there's been some flashes to say that Wang could be a genuine number nine as well. So Menez is heir apparent in that role. So it's different style when they do play it, but someone similar that can that can press from the front. So that could be an option as well, that some of the burden's taken off Raul when Neto comes back and gets to 100% that we can have some rotation up top. So speaking of Wang, this is why I wish we had more details on some of these deals that come in. There was an article that came out where Liverpool's, oh yeah, we're going to go after Hoang in January. Okay, number one, he's on loan the Wolves, which to my understanding, they have an option to buy. So what, Liverpool's thinking that he'd get pulled back from loan and then sold to them? I don't, uh, that seems, I don't see how that would be possible, right? Oh, that'd be devastating. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems like that's shady business. If And I don't think Wolves would be... I think they would have been smart enough to, if you have a buy option, to make it so they can't get recalled in January. Paul, is that kind of a normal business dealing? Well, to, to your point, I think the underworld of season-long loans or long-term loans is just that, that it's very murky and you don't know all the intricacies behind it. What I would say is money talks, though. And if they have, if his parent club have the opportunity to extract more from another team at the expense of, say, sacrificing five million that's in the arrangement that if he, if we don't sign him, then they're liable to pay us. If they're able to make up by adding 10 million to his valuation for the new buying team, then it's a business decision that way. So... It's tricky. Not, no one knows what's in these arrangements, that the fees that are involved on these temporary transfers. I think even to the extent that we'd probably cry at the amount that we, we played last season for William, that we'll never know. But that was probably three, maybe five million. Yeah. So it's, it's a little murky world. And it, it'd certainly be interesting to have a peek behind the curtain and, 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 and understand what goes on. I'd be livid if, if somehow that went down. Like, that would be just a bunch of crap. But it, you're right, and it, it does show, it gives you confidence that they're able to unearth these gems. And if it does go through for 13, even 15 million pounds, that's tremendous value. If you get oh, yeah. someone who's, who's come in, who's already scored four goals, maybe on target for double figures for the whole season. That's a snip. That's absolutely tremendous value. So you, you want to get those little diamonds and, and sign them and just watch their value grow from that point forward. Of course, and he had, you know, such an immediate impact. Yeah. Just, it came right in. He felt like as soon as he started a game, it was his spot and he didn't let up. And before that, we had the same situation we're in where we felt like we have this embarrassment of riches, like who plays where, who who gets this wing spot, who gets that wing spot. Now it's, okay, who's on the right? Because Huang is on the left, basically. Every, he's written his name on the sheet. And it's for somebody to come in and have a couple trainings and he's on the starting 11 every week. is It would be tough to let that one go, that's for sure. 
So one more question about the West Ham game before we move on. What are you guys' thoughts on Nelson Semedo? Because I know me and a couple of the guys at the pub have one feeling, but then, Paul, you had a different take on it, and I heard a bunch of other people that were very supportive of Semedo's performance. Aaron, I'll start with you. What's your thought on Nelson Semedo, not just his play against West Ham, but overall as well? Yeah, I'd like to see what the result would be if some of those final balls dropped to Aitnori and see, are we over-exaggerating the fact that he skies them into the stands all the time? <laughs> but I honestly thought that a lot of positive happened down that right side of Offensively, like I mentioned earlier, I think Pudence was beautiful cutting in and opening up that space. And they, I think they took advantage of that pretty well. I, I don't know that he was overwhelmingly great against West Ham. Like I said, I'm hard to speak to say that these chances that fall to him are we're just blowing them or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I'm sitting on the fence on that one a little bit. <laughs> Paul, what's, what are your thoughts here? If he'd have scored in that first minute in Southampton when he had that chance, and I think he had one or maybe two at Watford, and then on Saturday he had an opportunity as well that I think he just he, he put wide, yeah, rather than the keeper saved it. If he'd have had those three or four goals this season, you'd have gone, he's finally arrived, he's starting finally to prove his value. And I think for me, it's just that that, his transfer fee is such a hindrance sometimes for an accurate appraisal of his performances. So if if you take that away, it's really difficult to. But I think for for the most part, his solid season is probably seven out of ten standard each week, the occasional eight defensively even to the extent on Saturday that when we were under the pressure at the very end, it was him coming away and taking the ball away. And that's fantastic fullback play where he's just, we see the failings is that he'll get into these great positions or there'll be a fantastic move set up and it just breaks down with him. So we go from him being an eight defensively, suddenly is a five offensively. And I think that's what people people see mainly we as fans we don't necessarily see the dirty work that a defender puts in it's what they can do in the final third but and even to the extent that he was a fundamental cog in that goal on Saturday and I think it was one of the Wolves coaches actually tweeted out that move that started from the back and built down the right and it was him advancing the ball with his passing to Raul and then his to Podence and then Raul hanging back and knew exactly where he needed to be for that ball to come across and, and he did the rest. And then the coach, after that clip, he showed an exact copy of one that they'd worked on in training and it was identical. So if you, it, it, again, it's a little like our case of our, our friend Traore, you know, it may not necessarily be assisting goals, but what is he doing in order to contribute to contribute to the performance that way? Yeah, I just, I don't know. There's times where I miss Doherty just with how good he was in the box. And I feel like Semedo, he can break away, but when he gets near the box, he like panics. And he's always trying to stop and slow it down. And he doesn't really get inside the box like I wish he would more. I wish he'd be a little more aggressive. But I agree, defensively, he he was really strong, as really was everybody there. They hung on uh, pretty tight to 
secure the clean sheet. So now we're going to look ahead. We have Norwich on Saturday morning. They got a new manager in Dean Smith. What are we thinking about this, guys? Like you mentioned earlier, at the beginning of this run where we were having these really solid results, you looked at this game like, oh, this is the one right before it starts to really get tough for us. And, of course, that's the one you think, oh, God, that's the one we'll drop for sure. You know? <laughs> like We've got Liverpool coming up in a couple weeks. Norwich will wash them. No, we'll end up going and getting waxed. But it, it should be interesting. I don't know. It would be nice to have one of these games where we can hang three or four goals and get some, like we talked about earlier, what is form and what is momentum, actually. But it would be nice to take that into this difficult stretch and get the result the way we feel like we should. It's like everything screams bottom of the league. On paper, it should be a venue that that we turn up and and that we're just too good for them. But exactly like what we've all previously just mentioned, that it doesn't necessarily work itself out that way. And they won on Saturday, so you got that new manager bounce at home. They'd won the previous week for their first win of the season. That, that's two wins on the bounce. That's not too shabby in the EPL whatsoever. They're probably licking their lips thinking, oh, OK, the Wolves are coming to town. It's not a big team that we've got to be worried about that can really punish us. If we start on the front foot and, and go at them, then they could be liable. So don't let the league position fool any of us when it comes to Saturday. It's going to be a really tough game. I, I could see us struggling, but then on the other end, I could see us turning up and, and really putting on a show. Who generally knows? How, how can you bet money on any of that? <laughs> yeah, these next two games, man, they really have me worried because you look at it, Norwich and then Burnley, you're like, that should be six points right before we head into pretty much a gauntlet in December. But, golly, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm a little worried we may only end up with two or three points out of these two games. And, <laughs> I feel like some of this Wolves pessimism is rubbing off on me. <laughs> Am I just hanging hanging out around you too much, Paul? <laughs> Potentially, but it's uh, there, there's something going on. It's something in the water that none of us can look at this game and go into it with 100% confidence. It's it, it's down to the net, that down to the nature of the support. I'm afraid it's just what we what we got to put up with. So I have to poke in one thing here the, for the Norwich match. I, I'm feeling confident in this regard that my, my buddy Corey, who we, the two that we joined in, in this love for Wolves together, he's actually in Europe right now. I think he's in Paris at the moment. But Paul actually got him set up to get tickets to the away match at Norwich. So this will be his first ever Premier League game live. And so he's yeah. Wolves away. So... I feel like they're, they're going to give yeah. my boy a result there, just just yeah. to, you know, just to send it home a good note there. <laughs> you, you, you've you've swung me back into uh, optimism, definitely, yes. Aaron. Yeah, let's all root for Corey to get a win on his his EPL debut. So one of the big names that not really big over in England, but in the U.S. When you're talking Norwich, you got to talk about Josh Sargent, but he's been a little bit of a disappointment. He's uh, started. Six games, come in as five as a sub. He's had eight shots, but he hasn't scored. And he really missed it. You want to talk about some bad ones that we've missed that have been point blank. He he missed a really bad one. How much do you pay attention to the U.S. men's national team? And has Sargent been a disappointment for you, Aaron? I, I love watching the U.S. 
team, of course. There's the international pride is amazing, and then the turnaround that this nation has had as far as this sport is fantastic. There's a breadth of players out there playing at humongous clubs, Juventus, Barcelona, etc., and and it's great to follow all of them. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times I've seen the clip of Sargent trying to hit that open net and it not there. <laughs> and it's just of course it's somebody in the uk or somewhere that's posted it and goes of course freaking american that's been tough outside of that i really haven't seen much of him and that's probably indicative of the stats that you just read he just hasn't shown up it's tough it's hard to say when a, a young kid like that goes over and and is playing and it's a tough league and he's on a bottom of the table team and is he getting the support is he getting the is it a fit there's so many things hopefully he will notch his first goal this week <laughs> yeah right it'd be not good yeah paul i feel like because i know you don't follow the the u.s team as much um obviously as england but sergeant was viewed as the future of the number nine position for the u.s and i don't even he didn't make this last squad i don't think yeah and it's become Ricardo Pepe for FC Dallas up there. He's the real star now. So it's everybody thought Josh Sargent's move, especially going to somewhere like Norwich, where they had the need for a goal scorer, was going to be good. And instead, it's not gone good at all. I think Aaron hit the nail entirely on the head that it's such a tough league. And even the golfing class from moving from Germany is distinctly marked that you aren't going to get those chances in the EPL no matter who you're playing for unless it's a a Man City Liverpool where it's handed to you on a plate you're not going to get those opportunities so when you do miss an absolute sitter not only is it magnified it's doubly magnified because they don't come to you all that often when you're playing for the likes of Norwich so you really have to be something special that could go into that type of team and make a difference really so is he going to be at an EPL level or is he going to be one of those players that may drop down to the championship with Norwich and do really well and suddenly score in 18 20 a season but he'll he'll always be in that category of not quite EPL but too good for the, the championship it could be one of those yeah, I mean, we say that about the the Bundesliga, but then look at what Huang did when he comes True. in. Different guys just react differently. Raul was not really good for La Liga, and he comes to the EPL, and he's amazing. It's just, it's really odd how some guys thrive in one league, and then in the in another league, they just look like a shell of themselves. Yeah, similarly with, with Christian Pulisic moving over in mm-hmm. the Bundesliga, he was played solid and he played on a great team and they got results but he wasn't scoring and he wasn't running numbers up and then comes to Chelsea and it looks like okay maybe that'll be the same thing and the next thing he's off and running and he's playing great so you know that environment you you never know what's going to work for who and where they won't yeah Jaden Sancho's been trashed for me in years golly is he and that's who <laughs> yeah that's who had uh Pulisic's starting spot over at Dortmund. Sorry, I know that's a bad wound to bring up there, Paul.
All right, guys. So looking at it, we think in lineup, is it just going to be same guys out there, 3-5-3? Three, three, are we going to see Potence back on the bench with Trincao coming in? Oh, that's a good one. I think what the performance of Potence showed on Saturday and probably conversely Trincao showed at Palace is that I think Bruno has to be really cute in terms of who he plays, especially against the opposition. So even though we're coming off a really good win, I could see some changes on Saturday. And out of all those three, I could, it's a, Carrow Road, it's a tricky place to go. It's not a massive, huge, expansive pitch. It's quite compact. It, it, it feels like they're on top of you a little bit, similar to Sellers Park and Palace. So I could think, he may go try and and be a little more compact and probably stick with the potence in that he may be able to drop a little deeper, pick the ball up between the lines and, and do some magic that way. And I think when, it, when he's had the opportunities previously after a good performance, he's not necessarily delivered, but is it fair just to cast them aside or does he get backed and you see him with a, a greater body of work over three, four, five games of starting and then we, then he's fairly judged. So I, I'm not sure on Saturday. I, I could probably see Podent starting. Wang maybe, but then again, who's going to come in and be a natural fit on that left-hand side? Seems that whole side is performing. I could see some stability there, even though he didn't have the greatest of games. And maybe I think it could be the case that we, we may need some fresher legs in midfield, either in that game or bearing in mind that we got two coming back to back after that one. So surely Moutinho has got to have a rest at some point. So is it the Norwich game and he, he comes back in, he, he takes a break at Norwich, maybe takes a break at Burnley and come back, comes back in for Liverpool. So I, I could see some change, rightly so, not down really to, to performance. It's down to managing game time and, and managing the opposition. Especially with the jam-packed slate coming up in December and knowing we're going to be missing Saïs and Bali as well. How about your lineup, Aaron? So I got a question for you guys in this regard. If Traore passes that ball off instead of shooting it right off the defender and slides Raul in, does he start this weekend? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... I was trying to get through a podcast. <laughs> I really was, everybody. <laughs> He, went, he made that beautiful run, and the ball was right there. And oh, was like, and it was oh, so good. He finally. was fouled like four times on the way to the goal, too. He's going to uh, do it. Oh. I didn't think it was a bad shot, actually. No. I, I thought, I think what he was trying to go is, I'm getting fouled so much, I might be able to get a free kick out of this, ultimately. I, I don't know, man. Lodge and I don't know what the deal. I've, I've stopped trying to figure out what's up with Adama and Lodge. I'm just... I think I'm with Paul where I'm just becoming resigned to the fact that he's going to be going in January. And then that means he's going to come in this week and score two goals and get an assist. And and it will show exactly what we know, because there I am saying that it's uh, an opponent and a ground that could be ripe for us switching things around and putting a team out there to perform well. 
and it could be a venue and, and an opponent where Chiori absolutely runs riot that he's yeah. just let out there to play and give him a free roll pretty much and just say go and ball and drop deep and pick up the ball and run at him because they are back at bottom of the league fragile defense it, it should be ready made for him but what whatever's going on if it is down to, to contract or is moving on I, I just I've got no no real confidence in him getting a start. I will say the transfer window is coming up, and there's some big games against Man City and Liverpool and stuff. I think Adama's going to start some of those games and go off because that just seems to be what happens. That's well, and how, cool. you know, Paul, you mentioned earlier that, you know, we thought Huang had a bit of a drop-off last week, and you think could possibly some of that be that he had a lot of travel. He put a lot of miles in. He plays insanely hard and runs his tail off every match. This would be one of those situations. Can we give him, you know, put him on the bench this week, let him get a little rest? And and this does seem like one of those matches. That's why I brought it up. Triore does seem like this would be a great time for him to let's thump it long, let him bully some guys, maybe get him some confidence. And he does make those right moves there in the final third. Every time is a great time for Adama time. <laughs> He did start out from the left and played pretty well to start the season. It was yeah. him on the left and uh, and Trincao on the right, especially mm-hmm. at home. So it's not like it would be completely alien for him to come in and do that. I just think, again, what we probably don't see a great deal of is the sum of all the parts with Wang that he can help defensively. And he's one of those players that will press a ton from the front, which we haven't really got those types of players in the forward positions or up until recently we didn't have. So that's what he offers. So if we have got a little bit more license that we don't need, that so much seems it's Norwich, then it could be one that Choro comes in on the left and it is causes some damage picking the ball up and cutting in from that side onto his, his favoured right foot. All right, so let's hear predictions. Aaron, I'll let you start out. I'm gonna go. We're gonna we're gonna put it on. I'm going three one. I'm thinking Huang is gonna get a brace if he Ooh. gets the start, and we're going three one. Oh, I'm, I might I might do another. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna do I'm gonna do another head versus heart one, and I'm gonna say my head say two two because I think it may be a little after the Lord Mayor's show for us after West Ham and and there and Norwich on the upward a, a little. So I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. But then again, we it, it's not like we're conceding a, a bucket of goals and especially against the bottom of the lead team. So there's that in the back of my mind. You know what? I'm going to totally throw all of that out. I'm going to back my boy Corey and going to say we're going to smash him and win 4-0 away. What am it I is. thinking? Let's go for it. I got to be the bad guy then, don't I? <laughs> I'll be honest. This game has scared me for over a month just because I know I, I was I was way more confident we were going to win West Ham than this game. Way more confident. I'm going to say 1-1 one, one draw. I, it, and I hate it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, it's, just, it's one of those games. I just... Uh, 
And I'm probably going to say the same score for Burnley next week, too, because that always <laughs> turns out to be 1-1 with a stupid penalty on one side or the other in the 95th minute. That, that's it. it. Again, it's that whole Wolves fandom for you, because yeah. I was thinking that this whole new era of Bruno Large would do away with those performances that we saw against Brentford and Palace and that we should see against... Norwich and Burnley that those two again on paper should be walkovers but he's not he's I've not yet got the confidence that we've got rid of that bad Wolves juju going back so yeah I think we're right to be somewhat suspicious of what's going to happen on Saturday. (laughs) Paul we had one one stupid question this week from our buddy Teddy. Yeah Teddy Ely in Boca Raton Florida, he asked a no stupid question. So listeners, it's that part of the show where we encourage you to get in touch either on the socials, Facebook or Twitter or by email to hello at wholelotofwalls.com to ask us any question that you'd like, be it uh, players, formation, histories, match day experience, you name it, you can ask in a judgment-free zone. And Teddy says... What will Wolves' goals per game be on average this season? Seems like they're playing well, but we're just at 12 goals in 12 games. So <laughs> what goes there, gents? That's a great question. I'll let you go, Aaron. Yeah, right when you read the question, my first thing that came out of my mouth was one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just seems that way. It feels like every game we've scored three. other than a few but then it's like nope we only got one yeah if this team feels like there's a ton of goals in it and it feels every week there's multiple people that i would back to get them but for whatever reason they just aren't aren't coming in bunches so hopefully our norwich predictions will turn that around not yours obviously josh i'm going off of this because it says for the season i'm expecting renato sanchez to come in and score at least six seven goals when he can and uh sven botman will at least head one or two in <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say they'll finish with 1.25 or something like that which eh, it'd be okay It'd be okay, considering it's one unless it sanchez good. comes in and scores 15 in like 17 games then we'll take that too yeah. When you do see all the the stats and highlight the likes of uh, Wolves analytics on Twitter, it is a better season for expected goals and chances created and actually genuine chances created. And I think Saturday probably summarised that up entirely, that based on chances, it was only 1-0, but it could have been more, so... I think we've probably been saying for 18 months now that we, due to turn a team over and really put someone away really comfortably. So will it be soon? Will it be Saturday? Who knows? But I, I could, at some point, I, I could, again, I could see us clicking and, and really doing some damage to someone. It'll be the Renato Sanchez effect. That's what yeah. I'm going to call it right now. I'm going to talk this into existence, damn it. <laughs> I think he was talking himself into a Barcelona existence this yeah. past couple of days. So you got to keep it up, Josh. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. All right, Aaron, thanks for making your first appearance for the squad. Uh, great job. And so before we check our watch and blow the whistle here, why not tell the listeners about the early developments of Dallas-Fort Worth Wolves? All right. So, yeah, we thanks to Paul, we just recently started a, DFW Watching Club. We got 
a nice little turnout for our first match watch, just seven, eight people. So it's, it's been successful so far. We've got another date set up. We will have a few people meeting at right now, currently the Londoner in Colleyville. A few people that'll be there for the Norwich match. Obviously, like we mentioned earlier, our buddy Corey is going to the match. He'll forgive us for that. And uh, we have a Instagram page. It's Dallas Wolves Dallas. And then I have a email if anybody is interested in reaching out to us it's dallaswolves at outlook.com feel free to get in touch with us we're spread pretty much all across the metroplex so we're still trying to tie down um, exactly a good location for where we're at but the londoner treated us well last time look forward to continuing to grow that and hopefully we can keep pushing forward is that bar home to any other clubs by the way yeah so the owner is a chelsea guy and he made sure to give us plenty of shit on saturday <laughs> we were in there like you know let us know why the heck are we wolves fans etc but apparently the an, a villa group meets there which that mm. was interesting you know and <laughs> that and that, that cross so you know that place was good for the first time and we're gonna meet there again and again hopefully we're gonna try out some a couple of spots and find our forever home hard to complain so far that brings this week's show to an end so please continue to do what you can in terms of liking subscribing and reviewing whole lot of wolves on the podcast platform you find yourself listening to us on we'll be back next week to review saturday's game and then preview a double header with both burnley and liverpool coming to molyneux within the space of a week to kick off that tough December. So until then, our sincerest good wishes to you and your families this Thanksgiving and up the mighty wolves.